Hey, you're listening to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. And this episode coming up is Kevin Williams. He is the out-of-home location-based entertainment expert. And he is coming up next. We're going to talk about Disney Vision, the 90s immersive entertainment, the Dreamcraft, driving go-karts in augmented reality, Great Wolf Lodge and Magical Wands, all that and much more coming up on the XR for Business podcast. founder of the DNA Conference and publisher of the ever mind-blowing Stinger Report. <laughs> and my guest today, Kevin Williams, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Alan. A real pleasure to be here and the checks in the post. <laughs> it's it's my absolute pleasure. You don't know this, but you were one of my very first mentors in this entire industry. You were the first person I reached out to and you were so gracious with helping me uh, understand this world of VR and AR before uh, anybody really caught on to this. That was back in 2014, and uh, oh, wow. I'll never forget it. So thank you for uh, for being there for me. Oh, thank you for remembering. Our industry only grows by the new people that you can introduce to it. And with that, I want to make a challenge to everybody in the industry who owns some sort of VR or AR device, and I, I'm included in this. It's easy for us to not. Uh, remember the joy and excitement of our first few times of trying these technologies. I implore everybody and, and make a challenge to everybody that owns a device or many devices in our case to in the next seven days to put it on as many heads as possible yeah. to get those reactions, to, to re-energize yourself to the fact that, wow, this technology is revolutionary. It is mind-blowing. And we have it sitting in our backpacks, sitting on our desks, sitting in our labs. Let's show everybody. Well, that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about uh, augmented reality and uh, virtual reality being used in out-of-home entertainment. We can get a lot more heads in it rather than it just sitting on a shelf uh, in a development studio. I couldn't agree more. I had the opportunity to meet with Dreamcraft Attractions on the oh, weekend. Yeah. And uh, oh my goodness, they, they even solved the problem of hygiene. How do you put people in face masks without having to sterilize all of the devices? So they came up with this ingenious plastic helmet, like so smart. And then the VR heads just lower down. It's interesting. Uh, you, you talk about uh, how long this industry has been going. Uh, I was just having a conversation. You, you do understand that that two-part liner system is actually based on the original idea that uh, Walt Disney's uh, Imagineering had for their Disney vision system. The Disneybution system. So uh, Disney Vision was the system that was at Epcot in the 90s. is where a lot of people first heard about virtual reality in the theme park sector. And because Disney at the time was trying to work out which was the best way to get people into virtual reality, and this technology was clunky, it was using CRTs, they came up with a two-part system where there was a liner that you put on first, and then the head-mounted display component clipped into that liner when you got to the right, standing in the queue line. And as they say, nothing is new. It's just the wrappers that change. Here we are, uh, 2018, 2019, and the same principle is being used by these guys. And they've just deployed it, uh, obviously, at the Lionsgate theme park attraction in Asia. So I got to ask this, Kevin. You, you are uh, literally the well of knowledge for all things location-based entertainment. You've been hosting the Stinger Report for how many years now? 25 now. 25 years. Walk us through 
where the single report has come from, where your first episode, what you were covering, and then kind of walk us through maybe by five-year blocks or decades even, where we've come from there. So I, I've always been a fan of immersive entertainment since I got involved in the arcade industry. That's really back in the 80s. I got sucked into video amusements. It was a hard drug and a hard taskmaster. And then when I had to start earning a living, I built upon, uh, I had been a reviewer in my spare time of the early microcomputer video games. I got into reviewing and uh, evaluating arcade machines, and that's how I got sucked into that sector. Without boring uh, your listeners to death, the fundamental Stinger report is I have always been writing in the trade magazine. I am an appalling writer, but my English teacher taught me that the only way that I can improve my English is by constantly uh, exercising the muscles. So I've been writing for a lot of times, and I, I had been writing up until uh, the Stinger Report's released in the 90s. I've been writing for a lot of the trade magazines that existed. I've been also writing for some of the consumer games mag. And I noticed that my writing was being censored quite heavily regarding the, the dirt, as I like to call it, the interesting stuff, the, like I just imparted there, the reason why it's interesting to look at what Dreamcraft have created, but also to use the lens of history to see how it has evolved and how we got from A to B. Basically, what you're saying, Kevin, is you you call people's bullshit. No, that's unfair uh, because okay. uh, one man's bullshit is another man's caviar. Kevin, I am uh, not God. I do not have all the answers. I make mistakes like everybody else, and it's unfair for me to say I am right and you are wrong. What I try and do is collect enough information. I was taught in college that the only way that you can try and get to the basics of any problem is by collecting enough fact or enough information that you can treat as fact. And so I love history. I am a super nerd. I also like playing detective, so I like chasing the money in many of these projects. For example, we're just finishing a Stinger report where we're talking about uh, the development of a brand new theory of uh, augmented reality systems being deployed in a facility. It's not a new idea, it's just taking an older idea and utilizing new technology. And that's fundamentally what we have in the outer home entertainment sector. Nothing's changed from the carnival, from the theme park. Walt Disney, back in 1955, would recognize everything that we're doing in the current modern outer home entertainment industry. It's just uh, we're applying the same metrics with new technology. So to your point, I don't call the bullshit. I just follow the lines. And you've been following this, these lines for 25 years. What's so dramatically different now? I, I look at the VR and AR industry as kind of the boy who cried wolf. We've yeah. been screaming how great VR is for so many years. Nobody gives a shit anymore. And rightfully so. We, Myself included, we've been marketing this as, as a revolutionary technology for everything from teeth whitening to Ginsu knives. Yes. I'm waiting for it to do my laundry. They keep on promising that one. <laughs> so what are the real things that are making a difference? What have you seen recently that you're like, holy crap, we have rounded a corner. This is a different time. I work in the immersive entertainment industry. I don't work in the VR industry. I don't work in the augmented reality industry, in the cave industry, in the 3D projection mapping industry. I work in immersive. And what's happened is... Connectivity, digital entertainment, and interactivity have become understandable, 
controllable and repeatable to the point, courtesy of the consumer game, mobile phones, courtesy of digital entertainment and simulation and training. And all of this technology has now squidged together and certain dreams that we have had in the theme park industry are now achievable with the magic of the current technology. It's achievable. I'm not saying we're being successful, but it's achievable. Give us an example. Uh, we've always wanted to be able to know when a member of the audience wants to go left rather than right in a digital attraction and take the audience along with it. So if you ride Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom attraction, there's this fake steering wheel on the ride that makes people think they're steering the experience. But really, it's a toss of a coin whether you go right at the temple or left uh, through the waterfall. Now, with interactivity, with tracking, with entertainment, with gamification, we can now have the audience do what they want to do. And that makes a big difference because if they can do what they want to do, they can come back again and again, and it changes each time, and we get repeat visitation, and our prices go up. It's kind of like going to a video arcade. So we have a couple of them here. We have Playdium, and we've got the rec room and stuff. And you go there, and you play some racing games, right? You sit down with some friends. There's four video game arcades, and you're racing. And that's fun. But then you step outside, and now you've got a go-kart. Yeah. And it's a different visceral experience driving a go-kart with your friends. Physicality. There's a, bit, there's a physicality. There's a bit of danger there. What of the attractions that you've seen recently have kind of given you that feeling like, wow, I, I'm, I'm on a dragon or I'm racing a motorbike? What gives somebody that rush that isn't the physical footprint of, a, of an actual go-kart track? Because that is expensive. Roller coasters are expensive to build. How can we deliver that in a digital means that is convincing enough? Or what have you seen that is? So in the go-karts, we've seen companies like Mealy with their Hado kart system, where you can actually feel that you're in Mario. So I'm sitting in a normal go-kart in a themed environment, but when I put on the hollow lens headset, I see in front of me the bombs, the coins, the scores of the competitors. So that was an addition. So that, Alan, is the addition of technology to take a mundane experience and take it to a new level. Hold on, Kevin. Did you just say I put on a HoloLens and I drive an actual go-kart and I get to go pick up coins and stuff? Correct. I wonder, where can I try this? Uh, Japan at the moment, and uh, it'll, hopefully it'll be at the iAlpha show. But there is another company that has developed it one stage further. And there's an issue here in our industry that we have a concern about putting head-mounted displays and glasses on people's heads if you're doing dealing with thousands of guests. We now have a com of two companies that have developed a version of uh, that where rather than using augmented reality, they're using 3D projection mapping, and they're actually projecting onto the surface of the go-kart course the coins, the power-ups, the boosters, uh, the big stuff. It's incredible. Yeah. This is immersion. This is what's really thrilling me, Alan, that we're seeing these kinds of uh, applications. And this is going back to everybody thought they'd be wearing AR glasses while driving their car to get their heads up display. Now all we do is we just project onto the windshield. That's the equivalent of uh, making it really simple, stupid. Turns out we've been overthinking this yes, stuff. Yes, we, we have been overthinking. And we have been overthinking what, uh, what the level of immersion some people want. Do you want to have a head-mounted display on, or would you rather have the images projected onto the surface that you can interact with? 
I've been looking at this uh, augmented reality climbing wall, and it's seamless and it's compelling. And the other nice thing about it is the people standing around the climbing wall can see the experience that the individual's having, where sadly, with some augmented reality and virtual reality experiences, all you're looking at is some fool with a head mount on. <laughs> That's not that exciting until they fall down. Yeah, exactly. It's that aspect of what are you trying to achieve? Is it going to be fun? Or are you trying to sell technology? And a lot of my work as a consultant is trying to get uh, companies, investors, and developers to look at what we're really here for, which is to create compelling, immersive entertainment environments. I'm going to take it back just a little bit because honestly, you nailed it when you said fun. That's really all people want. They want to have fun. They want to have fun when they're watching movies. They want to have fun when they're listening to music. They want to have fun with their friends and family. Only people like me go to these entertainment facilities on their own. 80% of the people <laughs> that walk through the doors of family entertainment centers, urban entertainment centers, bar and club hospitality sites, theme parks, casinos, visitor attractions, uh, and retail attainment are going there in groups. And if they're not going in there in groups, they're using social media to show their friends they're having a good time. I think we're reaching this point, and, and I think this is a great segment because we're reaching a point in time where, let's call it the next 10 years. I, I don't know if it's 5, 10, whatever, but we'll be able to wear glasses in our daily lives. They kind of gamify and, and funify our lives, and we'll be able to have different representations of ourselves uh, to the world. And this mass consumerism that we've built our entire uh, economic systems around, perhaps we can scale that back a bit and just enjoy the experiences with other people and do things digitally rather than physically and, and kind of slow the expansion of our minings and of you know course. like yeah. physical objects. Well, so it's it's a it's a fundamental uh, even though I firmly wear a out of home entertainment hat, I also have to wear a futurist's hat, which is I have to keep up to date with technology. And one of the things that I've noticed is technology saturation and overload. So one of the things that companies are now talking about is how do they ease back on the technology and make the experience more personable? And I've noticed, and it's getting more and more, that we're trying to go for a frictionless experience. You've noticed now that we don't want to put our hands in our pocket and pull out change and notes. We want to be able to just tap our phone and pay for small items or even medium-sized items with frictionless we're prepared to give away some of our, shall we say, freedoms. And I don't mean social freedoms, but I just mean control freedoms of day-to-day -day life for a simpler, more compelling experience. And so you'll be seeing in the theme park industry the removal of the paper ticket and the appearance of the wristband. By giving away a little bit of my freedom, by having that wristband, that means that I don't have to carry a key to my lockers. I don't have to have a key to my door. I don't have to have my wallet on me when I want to buy a burger. And I don't have to stand in a queue for three hours to get it to the front of the ride. So I have children, and, and one of the places we've taken them is a place called Great Wolf. Oh, Lodge. yes. Did they like oh their goodness. wands? They have figured it out, man. Every kid gets, every person gets a wristband. Yep. You can go anywhere you want in this giant hotel that's, I don't know, a million square feet. It's got a water park the size of any major water park. And 
you never have to leave for the three days you're there and your kids are safe running around with their wristbands because they can buy anything they want, of course. So the wristband gives you security that you know your kids and uh, if they even migrate out of the coverage of that wristband environment, the alarms yep, go. Exactly. Number two, you can go up to any member of staff and ask where they are. Number three, they feel empowered, the children, because they're now grown-ups, because you've let them off the leash. You haven't wrapped them in bubble wrap and won't let them run away. You're allowing them to be themselves. And depending on which venue you went to, there is a fantastic wand game that was created. And the kids get it, and the parents are beginning to get it. it it's an equivalent, uh, before Pokemon Go was Pokemon Go, these guys, uh, Great Wolf, they created this really fun experience. And it's so fun that the adults get yeah. to it. It's using, uh, for those that haven't seen, it's a RFID wand that when you do a special motion near certain game terminals, if you do your magic movement correctly, then it opens up the game narrative and you try and learn all of the special moves to, to create points. And in some cases, people are going back again and again to that experience. And it's not high tech by any means. It's showing its age, but it's when a game works, and remember this word, when it's fun, They'll keep on coming back for more. Wow. I mean, that's the snippet. When it works and it's fun, people will come back for more. Yeah, that'll be on my brain, uh, gravestone. <laughs> the, the, the fundamentals are we're at that kind of I, – I spend all my time tracking the, the cyclical motions of technology and investments and entertainment. And we're at that point now where we've been saturated with virtual reality and even a little bit of augmented reality. We're now getting to the when the rubber meets the road moment in our industry, in my particular part of the industry. So what attractions in virtual and augmented reality have you seen that, that you think, wow, this has staying power? I mean, for me, the first one that comes to mind is The Void. They've got all different experiences. Each one is completely unique. They're multiplayer. I get to play with my friends. They're not inexpensive. They have a monetization strategy, and they don't take up a lot of footprint in a venue. So for the audience that is not familiar with this, we're talking about arena-scale VR. This is putting a backpack on and traversing through an environment. The void is different compared to companies like uh, Zero Latency, who just have the backpack and multiple players involved in game narrative, the void has gone down the path of trying to create uh, virtual environments, hyper-reality as they like to call it, where you put the backpack on, you put the head-mounted display on, and then you're pushed into an environment. And something that you're going to see in our industry in the next couple of years is a lot of intellectual property, movies, television, fantasy experiences being turned into arena-scale entertainment experiences where you and your friends can go through uh, this experience that they will recognize from the movie. So our friends at The Void started with Ghostbusters, and they created a really compelling Ghostbusters experience. The Ghostbusters experience blew my mind and changed my life. That smell of marshmallows. Oh, my God, the smell of marshmallows. That was it. I was sold. I'm like, okay, Void, take my money. I'm in. And then when they did Star Wars, for those people that have done the Star Wars where you're playing a a rebel infiltrating uh, a base pretending to be stormtroopers. It was the smell of the uh, the ash and the volcanic pumice that sucks a lot of people in and the feeling of the it's heat. crazy. The, the scent? I keep and telling then with you. It, and then with Wreck-It Ralph, oh. uh, Wreck Ralph, it was the smell of the cookies uh, and the sweets. But So 
one of the things you've got to understand is the physicality. I used that phrase earlier on. Virtual reality is okay, but if you don't have that level of physicality, be it olfactory from smell, audio from uh, a spatial sound, decent graphics, um, vibrating floors and seats, if you don't have that added just, then you have nothing. And that's a big difference between what we do in the immersive entertainment industry and what you do in the consumer industry. Oh. Consumer industry is difference to the VR experience you get in our industry. Sorry, no, so Kevin, I, I, ex this is exactly why location-based entertainment will always have the most powerful experiences because one, I can't afford to have a, a complete motion simulator in my house with scent machines and all of this craziness. Not to say I don't want it, but I can't afford it. Yeah, yeah. No, if, if you could, you <laughs> yeah, but it's not reasonable to think about that. But I can go to a place, pay twenty five bucks, and I can go and experience the most mind blowing VR in the world. Now, you mentioned feeling uh, haptics, spatial audio, graphics, scent. Now, you, as many of the listeners know, uh, my passion is is education and training, and I feel that education and learning is really competing with Hollywood movies, triple uh, A games. And of course, social media. So how do we then take the best of those three worlds and, and this out of home entertainment experience and apply that to learning things? How do we give learners the ability to fully viscerally learn something in a way that it mean, means something to them and also challenges them to be the best at what they do? Well, many of your listeners might not be familiar, uh, but I come from a military simulation background. Uh, so I got sucked in uh, to military VISIM back in the uh, early 90s because that was the only place that had the technology, the graphical processing technology to create the high level of engagement that we wanted to achieve in the theme park industry. And so we called it the sword, beating the swords into plowshares, taking the latest flight simulator computer systems and flight motion-based systems and creating star tours. That, that's the kind of lineage. And so we are still stealing from the training industry and putting that type of technology uh, into uh, entertainment facilities next generation. I just did a presentation here in Mountain View for a technology summit, and they uh, were talking about the latest K, computer augmented virtual environments that allow you to walk into a projected box where you are literally dropped into the virtual experience. No need for a head-mounted display, no need for 3D glasses because you're pushing the latest 8K projections every surface around me, including the floor that I'm standing on. And that is the kind of visceral uh, emotion that we're getting at the moment. And you know, to, to your point, one day you're running a virtual reality arcade facility, the next day, possibly when you have a downturn, you're running experientials, you know, you're running virtual uh, tours. Uh, we have a client at the moment that's done a, a fantastic job with National Geographic to create a immersive and compelling virtual tour of uh, unique locations around the world. So you have hundreds of people with head-mounted displays sitting in an auditorium going on a virtual field trip. That is the future. If we can create compelling immersive entertainment, then we can create uh, compelling immersive training it, we we have to fix this problem because we're about to enter a, a phase of humanity of exponential growth in everything we do and every job will change and change rapidly 
IBM is estimating 120 million people need to be reskilled, retrained, and upskilled due to AI, robotics, and automation only in the next three years. And, and IBM always goes for a low number. So if they're low this, just what the reality is I can't even imagine. We're going to run into a problem. There's a deficit of 7 million trade workers a year in the U.S., and that's just the U.S. Uh, kids don't want to be trade workers. This is a, a well-documented fact. I try not to generalize, but I know that the majority of kids have seen their peers making easy money and easy lifestyles and want to get us their share of that. I understand that. But I also, I meet a lot of creative people. Uh, individuals that want to get into the industries that I work into or want to get into the industries that are associated with us. So we need to kill the gatekeepers, open up the libraries, and improve the teaching tools. 100%. You couldn't, be, you couldn't have said it better myself. So speaking of learning and learning fast, one of the ways that I learn faster than anything is going to conferences. And you mentioned uh, two things. You mentioned kind of you know, modeling and simulation or military simulations. There's a, a conference coming up in Orlando called ITSEC, uh, I-I-T-S-E-C, yes. and it's uh, the world's largest modeling simulation and training event. And then uh, the second one is the IAPA, the Global Association for the Attractions Industry. Uh, I believe that's also in Orlando, actually. Same, same exhibition facility. It's a weird feeling. At the end of IAPA, uh, I then walk outside, slightly adjust my tie, change my lanyard, and then walk back into the show, uh, and it's changed into simulation. And in some cases, we have exhibition uh, exhibitors uh, at the theme park show who also come from the military simulation and training side. You know, companies like D-Box, they make the motion seats for your cinemas. They also make the motion seats for uh, some of the, the latest virtual reality uh, immersive attractions like virtual rabbits, but they also make the motion systems for your Abrams tank trainer. It's great. You think it's kind of crazy. Orlando's this little hub where you have attractions, you know, Disney and Universal and all these companies. Then you've got NASA make launching space shuttles. And then you've got all the branches of the military. And then you've also got all of the computer graphics companies, Lockheed. Uh, Lockheed Martin and I think EAS, uh, ES has still got uh, operations out there. Uh, the history of Florida and Orlando, especially, uh, and how it is married to entertainment, technology, space, and military is an interesting one, but that would take a, a long time. That's to another go. podcast you know, all in itself. And you know what we'll do? That's all on its own. We'll get John Cunningham and we'll, we'll get um, uh, some of the people from UCF and Lockheed Martin. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get them all. We'll, we'll have a joint uh, podcast. We'll see if we can do an Orlando-based podcast, maybe from ITSEC and IAPA. It'll be interesting to see. Some of your listeners may not know that I'm an ex-Walt Disney Imagineer, and so I... I I love the history of what Disney uh, set out to do with his theme park business, especially Elias Disney, uh, who followed after him. Uh, and it, it's interesting to to find out that even military business and military uh, business had had tentacles into the Disney decision to uh, open up uh, in Orlando. That's incredible! Oh my goodness! Wow, Kevin. It is always a pleasure to speak with you, to learn from you. This is a question that I think you're uniquely qualified to answer. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? 
XR technologies. Stupidity. Okay, explain. I would like people to be able to use the latest technology to get more information quicker so they understand the situations better. All right. So I was always taught by my parents to be situationally aware. Don't just walk into a place, uh, you know, understand where you are, understand why you're there. You know, it, it's, it's important to be able to just... What happens when the fire alarms go? Do you know where the exits are? Just simple things like that yep. are really useful, you know. Uh, and, and situational awareness is not just knowing uh, how uh, the layout of the building that you're sitting in, but also the reason why certain things are the way they are. And so a lot of people like to use the internet to grab information quickly, but only having a little bit of the information gives you no real pictures. You know, as my dad always said, uh, too little information is worse than too much. And I, I'm, I'm a little concerned now that uh, because we have limited information available to our fingertips really quickly, we treat that as gospel. And the whole point about XR technology is hopefully it can get, give us even more information, but simply presented to us. So rather than uh, just knowing that when I ask Siri uh, what the weather is today, Siri tells me that it's going to be sunny and raining, uh, a, a decent XR version of that would be able to show you the places where I'm walking today, uh, the possibilities of changeability, and also a little understanding of, do I need a coat or an umbrella for the rest of the day? Yeah, I, I think a lot, in, in the case of when we wear glasses all the time, less is more. You, uh, uh, there you go, encumbered technology. I've got this funny feeling with the price drop in projection technology and the new tracking technology that we may not be walking around with little pieces of plastic and glass in our pockets in the future. It may be the other way around where we are walking around and screens are following us. Explain. Projection mapping. Just think if you had automated projection systems in a space. We have projection mapping now. It, it, we even have uh, a company. iClick? No, it's it's like a, a camera-based system that allows you to projection map on anything pretty easily. Oh, what, you mean Cast AR, those guys? No, it's not AR. Um, Tri, uh, oh, TriFi is the, the, the version where you have Lightform, the little form. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, yes, you have that, but sadly, you still have to wear it, don't you? Well, what I'm saying is if you had a light form everywhere with a projector attached to it on, let's say, walking down the street and I could turn a wall, just a standard pedestrian wall into anything. The, the thing is we have these technologies now to do oh, yes, we do. insanely amazing things. And yet we don't do it. You know, I live in Toronto and maybe other places. Montreal has done a very good job at projection mapping and you know some other cities. Mm. But it's almost like we're missing out on, on this very simple way to communicate uh, messages. And I, I think maybe the reason why it's not exploded as it is, is because commercial entities tried to make it commercial rather than art. Exactly. And art is something that's visceral and, and that we can all buy into. And ads are like, yeah, okay, great. Show me something cool. So one of, one of the best uh, uh, 3D projection mapped environments that I've ever been in was uh, for an art exhibit, the links to Monier. And it was beautiful. It was compelling, and it was visceral, and it was and it was it. No 
Coca-Cola or uh, Pepsi or, or uh, KFC are going to fund that. They just want to be able to say, uh, eat Coke yeah. and stick it on the side of the wall, drink KFC and stick it on the <laughs> wall and uh, be compelling. We have to look beyond the technology and look at what we can deliver. And then once you invigorate and excite people with the opportunities of what you can deliver, that's when it gets driven. And so when I, I say I expect every service to be turned into a screen, I don't see us wearing a, a headband or contact lenses. I actually get the feeling that maybe the light socket of the future will not just be a illumination device, but it will also have a little Pico projector in there. And it will track you when you walk into the room. And if you look at the wall and you make the hand gesture, it will project a lovely 8K display on there. And it will do everything that my phone can do and more. That's insane. But that's that's what people want. They don't want to have to put on a cardboard box. It may be practical in closed spaces like museums, you know, public spaces like, uh, you know, maybe a courthouse. Alan. I work in the outer home entertainment industry. <laughs> so places where you can control it. So if you're at Disney, oh, wow, yes. I get it now. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. cool. Why don't they do that now? I don't get it. What the hell? Um, it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the 8K projection systems. So we're working on a couple of projects that are based on CAVE technology, computer augmented virtual environments, and uh, they're using the, the latest projectors, 8K and 4K max projectors, and it's yeah. expensive to you know fill that whole environment. The price is coming down, but to answer your question about why technologists aren't jumping on projection mapping as much more, it's not just the, the reason about the content, it's not just the reason about application, it's also about where you put your resources. One of the largest manufacturers of projectors is also a very large manufacturer of digital displays, uh, uh, OLED and LED displays that go into mobile phones and into laptops. That would be Samsung. Yeah. They... But you could also say the same of Sony. You could also say the same of uh, HTC. You, you know, there are companies there that have to marshal their resources. And with the Tokyo Olympics coming up next year, you're going to be seeing a lot of projection systems the latest projections and you're going to see a lot of 8k projection this is the first uh, olympics that will be broadcast in 8k uh now there's not many, there are not many places around that's insane yeah this is totally insane because especially as you saw at ces this year there's not many places in the consumer sector where you can have an 8k i think the, the highlight of my ces well one besides the crazy helicopter but there was like a rolling 4k display it rolled out of a box it was nuts like oh the yeah, TV rolled out. yeah but like 8k i didn't i don't think i saw anything 8k or, or very few anyway oh yeah there, there, there are a couple uh there are a couple of the super display uh systems and you know you can always spot them because they're the ones where uh people are grilling meat on the boxes <laughs> these things get hot the little <laughs> transformer boxes for these things yeah and you can see the big thick cables going into them but these aren't really considered for consumer at the moment these are being looked at as commercial display systems and so i think most people will get to see the 8k presentation when they go to their local cinema and they uh, get to see the latest uh, projection system uh, pushing out the olympic experiences but again Courses for courses, and it's content driving this. And I wouldn't be surprised at the interest that the Olympics 
next year generating this kind of high quality visuals will in, encourage people in our sector. But there's one thing to also understand about pushing out high quality visuals, not always a success. We've seen the problems that uh, the high def screens have caused uh, with uh, production quality, you know, makeup is become a much more dangerous art uh, and zits and uh, zooming in on uh, people's faces are all issues that need to be uh, uh, avoided. Uh, with the, the higher the quality doesn't mean always the better the picture. Indeed. Indeed. Well, Kevin, I, I, this has been an amazing conversation. We could probably talk about this forever. Uh, are you, where, where can people find you? Where, where can people learn more about what you're doing? I'm always on Facebook, always on Twitter, uh, always on LinkedIn. Look up uh, Kevin Williams at KWP and you should hunt me down. If you uh, want to send us an email, our email is kwp at thestingerreport.com and that will get me wherever I am. If you want to get onto the subscription list uh, of the Stinger Report, just send me an email with subscription on it and I'll make sure that uh, you receive it. Uh, we write a lot of articles for the trade pubs. So, um, again, I also have a column in VR Focus that uh, I'm going to be starting up again. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, to have completed by the end of the year the uh, with our co-author, Michael Marciani, the sequel to our previous book. So in 2013-14, we launched the first book, The Virtual Frontier, The Immersive Frontier, I'm sorry. And uh, the sequel to that is coming out uh, at the beginning of next year. And that goes into the details of uh, the immersive uh, opportunities in outer home entertainment. And also is looking a little bit towards the future because we like a little bit of crystal ball case. Wow, you are a busy man, my friend. I am really looking forward to catching up with you in person at uh, IAPA or ITSEC. And uh, we get to try Definitely. some some tank simulators and then uh, get on a, uh, a merry-go-round, I'm sure. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, this has been the XR for Business podcast. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, 
media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.